Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport. With in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Okay, and rolling. Hello and welcome to episode 187 of the Inside Tri Show. I'm Helen Murray and each week on the Inside Tri Show I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. I am on a self-supported bikepacking cycling adventure at the moment called the Pan-Celtic Race, but rather than leave you without a podcast... I have left you in the capable hands of British triathlon strength and conditioning coaches Matt Croyle and James Langford. In part one last week, you heard what exactly is strength and conditioning, why does it matter in endurance sports and triathlon, and if the gym isn't an option, what can you do at home? Plus, some specific strength ideas to help you with your swimming. In part two, coming up right now, Matt and James answer listener questions, including how to find the time to do some strength and conditioning. But I started by asking Matt what exercises you can do to help get you stronger for the bike. I guess for all three without going to all three, I, it comes down to you work or I will work on like almost like a spectrum from very, very generic and very general to very specific um, and you kind of like where an athlete is in their stage, you'll kind of surf that. Um, for bike, probably James will probably agree. We both probably go with like leg press. But again, it comes down to like how you, what you're actually trying to stimulate. So if it's max force, like the absolute peak force you can put out so you can put up your peak watts, really it's about finding probably the exercise that works for you. So it might be a back squat. It might be a split squat. It might be a double leg leg press or it might be a single leg leg press um on the leg press you can hit some some nice kind of like specific positions um if your leg press is customizable enough like in the in the angle of the chair and stuff but yeah leg press is really good so i probably do a lot of single leg leg press with my athletes and then in particular especially when we get in season probably do like a lot of concentric leg press so 
James just talked about eccentric, which is where like the muscle is lengthening. So as you go down on the pull up, that's the eccentric phase so on the lowering phase with the leg press um, and on cycling in particular, there's, there's not much of an eccentric contraction, where, whereas obviously we've got that push on the cycle down. So by doing a concentric leg press, it means we set the leg press um, up as if it's closer to us. So we get into that bottom position essentially, and then we just push really hard from there. Um, so that's a concentric leg press. And, and what that means is that you don't have that eccentric portion where you're controlling it, which is could be a pro and a con. In season, it's a bit of a pro because it reduces muscle soreness because that eccentric will produce a bit of soreness. And it means, yeah, we can stay away from that around races and athletes can be confident in loading around races. And then, right, what about the run, James? Any any specific exercises then that might help someone with the run? Uh, the runs, I think there's sort of two approaches for the run. That I think I think there's an element of kind of generic lower body strength is going to be useful um, just to be able to help you kind of deal with some of the forces that are coming back up through your leg every time your foot hits the floor. So like Matt said, something like a leg press, a squat, um, a hex bar deadlift, just something quite generic that is going to improve your body's ability to be able to kind of generate and tolerate high forces. You can then get a little bit more specific as such by going something unilateral, so something like a split squat, a step up. Again, it's it's nowhere near as specific as running, but you're going to get some kind of unilateral loading. So, you know, prioritizing one side over the other. And then the big thing for me when it gets to running is once you've probably built up a base level of strength, there's not going to be much more of a carryover from really heavy stuff in the gym to the run. It then becomes much more around the foot and ankle. And just is your is your calf and your foot and ankle complex able to deal with the forces through running? Um, there's a really nice paper that our physio at Leeds always brings us back to, which is even at, I think, three metres per second, which is about a, let me get this time right, which is about a 55, 10K, I think it is. I might have got that wrong. It might be about a 54, 10K. Um, but even at around that pace, there's about three times body weight going through that foot and ankle joint. Um, and then as you start to, speed up that force kind of stays pretty constant um so and, and he's ready to look at this if you're going out for a run there's probably between about two and a half to three times body weight going through that foot and ankle every time you hit the floor so one of the big things then for us becomes making sure that the athletes that we work with can tolerate that so we'll do a lot of heavy calf raises for example like i think one thing with the calf is everyone goes okay i need to do lots and lots of, of calf raises which will help the I suppose the endurance aspect or the capacity side of your calf a little bit but actually you know if you're going to tolerate two and a half to three times body weight like you need to just do some heavy loading you kind of just need to treat it like you would do you know your knee your hip and your hamstring so some heavy loading through your calf whether that's heavy single leg calf raises heavy double leg calf raises on a leg press um you can also do some nice things with some isometrics I think Matt mentioned them before but if you sort of visualize a squat rack with the bar in the rack, instead of the bar sitting on top of the pins where you're going to lift it out and do your back squat, you actually fix the bar under the pins and just do like a calf raise as hard as you can into the bar. So the, the idea is the bar's not moving. You're kind of in a little bit of a calf raise, just pushing as hard as you can. And for most people, they'll probably get between two, two and a half times body weight through that exercise alone. Um, and that's, We'll also use that as a test in Leeds, and I think Matt uses it in Loughborough as well as a way to 
we'll stick them on a force plate and measure that to make sure our guys are kind of getting above that three. Um, but those are some really sort of simple ways you can make sure you're kind of robust enough to run. So you've got some general overall strength that just comes from your, your compound lifts and your unilateral stuff, but then you're kind of probably dialing into the foot and calf a little bit more than, than people might normally do. And then through a combination of like your drills and your pogos that have your quick ground contacts and kind of load the tendon a little bit more. And then your heavier, slower loading that the gym will do through your heavy calf raises or your isometric, you end up with this really nice balanced approach that's probably going to develop the, that strength through the foot and ankle complex really well. Um, and that'd be that'd be the biggest thing to kind of think about in running for me is like, are you are you developing the foot and ankle adequately to kind of put about three times body weight through it? A big thing when thinking to age group as well is that they don't be afraid to load heavy. Like our athletes, um, hopefully across both centers, I think load really heavy during calf stuff in particular. Um, sometimes I might see some athletes kind of back away from some of like the bigger, more compound lifts, although I think we've definitely moved in a really good direction now. But the calf stuff, we are really good at loading heavier, heavy on. Um, and like like James Lucy, like three times body weight through through the through the calf complex and i think more specifically looking like the achilles they've seen like up to like seven times body weight like six meters per second which is running pretty fast but um yeah there's it's definitely not to shy away from from loading heavy on cars and you can do way more than you think um sometimes you see people in the gym just bouncing like two and a half kilos up and down on their knee if they're doing a seated one where actually they can it can take a lot more than that if you just stand on one leg and kind of zigzag hop across a room in front of you like the the forces going through your foot and ankle doing that are equivalent to around that about five or six seconds running kind of forces that Matt spoke about there. So you're going to get a big aspect of your kind of loading through the foot and ankle in the gym, but actually that drills and and pogos and like more plyometric stuff that Matt spoke about is is something that probably needs to be in the program as well because although we can maybe expose people in the gym to two times body weight, maybe three times at a push. Like if we start talking six or seven times, I don't know anyone that even is, let's say, 50 kilos that's putting 300 on their back and doing some calf raises. Do you know what I mean? So the drills is a big aspect of it as well to to consider. One word that you, neither of you have actually mentioned uh, yet, I don't think. Um, what about core? Like that's one thing that, you know, I, I, I often see in like magazines or on triathlon media that kind of stuff it's like oh you need a strong core you need a strong core neither of you have mentioned it um where does the core come into it i'll go first um so for me i I term it trunk although sometimes you get caught in slipping into into the word core as well but trunk so when i speak about trunk um or when people speak about core i think generally they go straight to like six pack abs um, whereas I'm talking about trunk and, and I use a different word on purpose. And I think a lot of SNC coaches do to kind of change the narrative and the way people think a little bit. So it's, I see it as any of the muscles that are basically helping support the spine. So that can be the, the, um, erectors through the spine. Um, it's the muscles on the front, it's the lateral muscles as well. So anything that's keeping you stood up straight, essentially. So we do have some isolated trunk stuff. We do some testing to work out where people are and then obviously off based off of that testing, it depends. Some athletes might, it might be a priority for. Um, so we have that testing component and then essentially I, I block off my trunk exercise into different categories. So we'll have like anti-movements that would be like 
anti-flexion, anti-extension, um, anti-side flexion, basically different movements where you resist movement. So you're trying to stop the movement. So if you laid off the side of a bench and someone held you held your feet down so you could you could hold your body off the end, that would be like a an anti-flexion movement. Um, then you've obviously got different types of movement where we actually incorporate some movement based into that. So like rotational movements, um, kind of diagonal movements, movements where you're moving through flexion. But even before all that stuff, there's actually a lot of our trunk work comes through kind of like the main exercises. So like if you have maybe a, a leg press, probably a bad example, but a back squat, a really heavy split squat is going to stress the trunk because if the muscles aren't there holding your spine up straight, you're going to end up in a pile on the floor. So they're the that's where like a lot of our trunk work is probably hidden. And then there's some isolated stuff at the end um, and maybe some work-ons for some people. If there's something that the coach has spotted, be that to do a swim or run, if they're collapsing down on one side, there might be a bit of an extra push around trunk. And I think with the, just adding on to what Matt said as well, um, like I'd, I'd echo absolutely everything that, that he says. And I think the other thing is when we think about trunk stuff, it's important to kind of treat the trunk training like you would do your strength training. Like you should be looking for a way to try and progressively overload it. I'm not too sure. I haven't been in try that long at all. Like I say about 18 months, but I know some of some of like the athletes that I will work with, their sort of predisposition is to want to do a lot of sort of Pilates and yoga for like core conditioning and for the trunk and that's really good and it's all great and it all has a place but the core needs to be treated the same as everything else like it needs to be progressively overloaded so I think it plays a really key role in being able to stabilize sorry stabilize the pelvis while you're running and it's going to help a little bit with some of that force translation when you're on the bike through some of your lower limb and being able to anchor yourself actually into into the handlebars a little bit but I think there's probably in the tri world from my own experience and conversations I've had like a little bit of probably a, a over-reliance on kind of development of the core and an under-reliance on the actual strength side of things um, in terms of, you know, your ability to produce and tolerate force because that's what endurance training is. It's a lot of force a lot of times. Um, so I think I'm always conscious that whilst I, I will want to do reiterate, like the core is important, not only does it need to be treated like strength training where you're progressively making it harder, it's not just bodyweight stuff. Like, it's not the main thing. Like, there's probably other bits that get neglected that I would say are a little bit more important if you had to prioritise. It's going to be different for anyone who might have had an injury or suffers with maybe some kind of um, spinal problem because of the sport they've done and the repetitive loading. But, yeah, it's it's an important thing, but I wouldn't put too much priority on it because if you're doing the heavy stuff like Matt says, you know, the heavier split squats, the the heavier hex bar deadlifts, whatever, you're going to get still a lot of actual like loading through the trunk. I think a lot of people do focus on, like I said, on that fr like that like abs and what they term as core, and like you look at a lot of people end up with like back pain on the bike, and there's just simple stuff you can do around. People have just been focusing on the front, but actually there's a load of muscle support in the back, like the spinal erectors and like focusing on those might actually help clear up a little bit of back pain and getting really strong through glute and a hamstring. And so you're a bit more comfortable on the bike and actually can then allow you to get that time in in terms of training. Would you say that actually doing a bit of yoga and Pilates is better than doing nothing at all? Yeah, I would. I'd say anything's better than doing nothing at all. Um, 
But I, I always see yoga and Pilates being this almost like polarized thing. You'll get some people who do it for a training purpose, like core and low body strength and control. And I completely agree with all those things. The bit I don't quite agree with is when people use low yoga and Pilates as like a recovery session. Um, that's why I really start to kind of disagree with that as a modality because like I've been to a few yoga and Pilates sessions and there's definitely an element that because I don't go a lot, like it's hard, but there's nothing about those of recovery. So I think it's, again, it comes back to that first point of why you're going, you know, if you have highlighted or are concerned that your kind of core and trunk strength is a bit of an issue, then it's probably a really good way to fix that issue. I think it's worth having in the back of your head, like how, how does that progress to challenge me as I get stronger? And that's going to be a conversation with the practitioner that's running the Pilates and the yoga. So from that aspect, it's absolutely better than doing nothing. Like anything's better than doing nothing. But where I start to really get a bit gray is when, and some of our guys in Leeds will do it every now and again, like, oh, I'm going for a Pilates session or a yoga session to recover tonight. I'm like, that's not recovery. All me and you have very different interpretations of recovery, but it's still a training stress. So it's not recovery. Yeah. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, just, uh, I've got a few questions that um, I want to ask. Let's ask those first, and then I, I might come back to the one which just popped into my head. But uh, Nia said, for someone who is very short of time and prioritizes, <laughs> you might have a few things about this, but actual sessions, as in swim, bike, run, um, like strength and conditioning is low on the pecking order, and I often miss it what is the best way to ensure some strength and conditioning or what is the one thing I could do? No, like they're right. It's swim by run out of the actual sessions. Like it's probably true. Um, but I think like a lot of people think of strength and conditioning as an additional session that has to sit in the diary and it just doesn't have to be that way. So if you've if that is you in the example and you have this session that you have programmed out really nicely that you're struggling to fit in the week, sort of have a look at the rest of your week and then have a little look at that session and try and figure out, well, what bits can you put elsewhere straight off the back of another session or straight off the back of a run or straight off the back of a bike? Like which bits can you put in there that kind of suddenly eliminate this other session? Because the positive about doing that is if you've, if you're capped to 10 hours and that's all you can do in the week, like actually there could really be something said for ditching that hour of S&C and doing an extra extra hour in the pool. Like if you can still get that work in five minutes here, five minutes there, 10 minutes off the back of a session, you're still doing it. So actually it might be that that time is better used on the bike if that is your weakness. Um, but it is still, there is still value in doing it. Absolutely. 
Uh, John mentions the word motivation. I know I need to do some, but I just don't get around to it. Any tips? So, yeah, again, it comes back to if it's about understanding how it's going to help you. So I think I would take a look at your swim, bike and run profiles at the moment. That could be really in detailed if you're going to pay to go to a physiology lab um, or it could just be really simple and going, I'm not so good at this, I'm not so good at that. Finding or or I've had this injury and, and it's just cropped up again. So it's about finding that little thing that you want to work on and then creating, like I think, first of all, in your mind, like, right, that is important and I can change it by doing X, Y, and Z or, or a help towards a change and then just creating space for it. So, yeah, those, those bolt-on sessions are, are definitely going to help. But outside of that is, I think, just being really clear and deliberate with your plan each week. Um, so mapping out what the week's going to look like, um, ensuring that we uh, prioritize key sessions. So like wherever your key swim, bike and runs are, that the S&C isn't really like impacting those. That's one thing we, we tend to make sure. Um, and sometimes my sessions are moved around because of that. And that's completely fine. Um, but yeah, making sure they're put in the right place. So like going back to those that microdosing or bolt-on sessions, um, there might be some sessions where putting on some calf raises onto the end of a run would be would be really beneficial. Um, but it's just then thinking about the consequence of that onto the next day. So if like the next day was, say it was an easy run on a, a Monday and then you got track Tuesday because why else would we not do track on Tuesday? Because it rhymes, which is one thing that drives me up the wall in triathlon. So yeah, if you're going to put the in the calf race on the Monday, that's great. It's just making sure that you have adequate recovery time then, and and you're not doing too much, so that you've actually created some some localized damage in the calf, which is essentially what we're trying to do. And then you've got to go run, you know, whatever minute k's on track Tuesday. And talking, oh, oh, James, I was going to just say, talking of sort of like that that damage, um, David actually had quite a few uh, good questions. Um, and it is about weight training the legs. Is it best to train the same day as a run? I'm just going to give you all the questions because then you can give us a <laughs> full answer. Should the weights be heavy? And should you be able to run 24 to 48 hours after leg day? Um. So I think Matt like hit the nail on the head at the start is obviously you need to be smart about where you're putting stuff in the week. You know, if you if you do run on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, for example, uh, if you ran four times a week, then, you know, it's probably going to be smart to do any of your lower body loading on a Tuesday after a run. I, that's an ideal world. Not everyone's given that luxury. That's an ideal world. But because then... It's the last thing you're going to do on the Tuesday. It's not going to impact anything on the Wednesday. The likelihood you you are going to be fine by the Thursday. Um, so that's the first thing that I'd say when you're looking at it is just, are there any really smart places that you can put stuff in the week that isn't going to impact anything else? I think the other thing on the side of that is you can get a lot done with less. You know, a, a really consistent strength and conditioning program involving two sets of a heavy leg press, but done really consistently for a long period of time, it's going to be much better than five sets of a heavy leg press followed by four sets of a heavy Romanian deadlift done, you know, four times, then you complain you're too sore, so you don't do it again. Like, actually, particularly in endurance sport, it's just, it's like the training, it's just the consistency of it. You know, if you were looking to go from, if you'd been a swimmer historically and you were looking to transition into try, 
the first time you go for a run, you're probably not going to go out and do a 10k time trial. Like you, you're going to need to build up to it because you've never really ran before. And the same just rings true for anyone who's kind of either listening to this and thinking about starting the gym or is thinking about some strength and condition, isn't too sure where to begin. It's like, just because you've Googled triathlon strength and conditioning program and, and gone through it, like doesn't mean you have to do that whole thing the first time. Like just go in and do a little bit. So just enough so you feel like you've done something, but not so much you feel like you're going to be sore the following day because your body will react to the gym stuff the same as it does the rest of your training. You know, you can, you build up a bit of a tolerance to it and the sessions that once made you sore before aren't going to make you sore again. And it's the same with the gym. Like once you build up a bit of a tolerance to it, all those fears of, oh, I, but I can't run after leg day. I don't like the term leg day, but I can't run after leg day because I've done too much. Like if you just gradually build that volume up, they'll get to a point where you can do it and there's probably not going to be any repercussions because you've built up that volume, like you've just become accustomed to it. And then it being able to do that consistently over a long period of time is going to be way better than any, you know, big throw a grenade in there, blow everything up, make me real sore, and I'll come again next week. Um, yeah. That, James, is, I was nodding away there, and you're probably thinking, geez, she loves a good nod, does that one? Um, because I I started going to the gym probably in September, I think. And, um, oh my goodness, the, the day after I went that first time, I was like, I can't run. <laughs> like my glutes are on fire. But now I'm still doing a very similar, it's, it's nothing complicated, but I've been very consistently pretty much twice a week and I can now run the day after. And, and I could actually after, after a while, but I just feel more stable on my feet. I feel a lot more stable, even if I'm doing yoga and I'm having to sort of stand in a particular position or something, just, I feel more stable. Um, I have no idea if this is going to come out in an actual triathlon, who knows, but I feel better for doing it. So that's got to be a good thing. Um, I did want to ask about flexibility, right? How does that relate to strength and conditioning and do do triathletes need to be flexible i suppose the the way i'd view it is you only need to be as flexible as what you're asking your body to do so if you if you are sat on the bike and you know you've got you're in a very specific position that you've set up for you and that position's just uncomfortable for whatever reason sometimes it might be that something's a bit tight some things it might actually be that just a certain position's a bit weak then that's when you need to address something like the thing that the thing that I'm always conscious of is those like the repetitive cyclical nature of the sport means it can be quite common for some areas to start to tighten up a bit like calves are always a good one for example or hamstrings but one of the big things about strength training is like it's been shown to be really um, effective in improving and maintaining flexibility so if you if you tag on some calf raises at the end of a run, for example, or you're doing calf raises in the gym and you're really loading the calf through its full range, then you're probably not going to get tight. You're probably not going to decrease your flexibility. If anything, you might improve it. So I think with, with the flexibility, there's almost an argument of like, if you're not flexible enough or you have problems hitting the shapes you need to be in, then it might be worth sort of having a question or a conversation with someone to see if flexibility is the issue. Like I say, quite often weakness manifests manifests itself as being inflexible. Outside of that, if there's no if you're not struggling 
because you're too tight to hit any certain positions. Well, actually, if you just incorporate some strength and conditioning where you are loading these key muscles through a full range, you probably don't need to do any stretching. Like if you enjoy it and psychologically, like you said earlier with the gym stuff you've been doing, if psychologically it makes you feel good, then you're probably not going to take anything away from doing it. But again, stretching in a way is still exposing the body to load. So it is going to impact the recovery a little bit, despite people thinking it helps recovery. Um, so my thing is always like, yeah, it's a nice to have. It's not a need to have. Matt, I have one other question, I think, for you, which, again, just kind of came in. Uh, glutes, right? Um I've heard a few people say, oh, literally, I, I don't really have any glutes. Like I can never, I can never feel my glutes. Um, how can someone who might say that, um, how can they find their glutes? What can they do to get those glutes firing? Imagine a question. Um, oh, first of all, question why they don't think their glutes are firing. Um, because a lot of like hip extension, obviously hip extension movements is, is what the glute does. And if you're able to do a hip extension, whether that be a hip thrust, whether that be moving for, through a squat full range, your glutes probably are working. So I'd, I'd question where they got that information from. It might have been a physio somewhere, not blaming physios at all, but um, we work with very good physios here. Uh, <laughs> um, there might be some people where they can they can work on some real basic exercises to really feel like they are contracting glute. And so that's probably what they're feeling like. They've probably been told that, yeah, they're just not firing or whatever. But actually, I think going through the process of starting in the gym and starting with some basic exercises and progressing those exercises, naturally going through that and almost taking their brain away from thinking about their glutes, they're probably just going to get stronger and start feeling their glutes as such. Um, yeah, I'd say it's probably where I've heard that is from people who probably haven't really trained much before it's probably those people and once they get into training okay you actually realize that yeah i'm hip thrusting 110 kilos or whatever and yeah my glutes are definitely working amazing any any final thoughts from from either of you i think you've done a fantastic job by the way i think probably probably an interesting one which me and james probably do have different views on which is always interesting across snc coaches is um like we're always both, I guess, open to anything. But um, I know that like at the start of our off season, I went down a bit of like a local muscular endurance route. Whereas James, correct me if I'm wrong, you went down a bit more of like a peak force route. So it's just to, to put the message out there for people that there are different ways of achieving the same thing. There's many roads lead to Rome. So some of my athletes went through that. So some sustained higher rep based work in order to increase local muscular endurance. Um but that's not all they do. They also do that peak force work um, where we're trying to hit really high peak forces and that's just going to fluctuate through the season. Um, but yeah, just to let people know there's different ways of doing things and um, yeah, different rep ranges. Yeah, I, I just agree with Matt. Like many, many roads lead to Rome. So like it's probably doing, for most people listening to this podcast, like probably doing something is better than nothing. And it is, it is really easy to overthink it in the idea of, oh, is this right? But, like Matt's given a really good example there where we both work for British triathlon. We both work with like, I would like to think like real professionals at the top of their sport. And we both have very different opinions to what we've done this off season. Neither's right or wrong. It's just in, with Matt's group, he saw this and decided to do this. And with mine, I saw why and decided to do this. So 
I think it is very easy to overthink S&C, particularly because there is so much knowledge out there. And with that become a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainties and also a lot of kind of negativity around certain bits as well, like lifting heavy is going to injure butt or whatever it might be. Um, but honestly, just for me, doing something's probably going to be better than nothing, even at the very least, if you just offset the fact that most time people hear S&C for the first time is once they've got an injury. So at least just doing something now might just nudge that on a little bit. I'm not saying no one's ever going to get injured because people are going to going to, but um, yeah, just starting something and doing it consistently is going to be better than doing nothing in the long run. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. Thank you again for listening. I will be back as normal next week, but that is it for this week. You will find links to discounts with Form Swim and OTE Sports in the show notes over at insidetryshow.com. So happy racing, happy training, and we'll speak again next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.